Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Thursday, June the 18th, 2020. This is episode 2684 of the Survival Podcast. I'm titling today's episode, The Time to Build Independent Income Has Long Since Come. And I was going to title it, The Time to Build a Business. And I'll I'll tell you in a bit why I didn't do that, why I, I changed it to independent income, because that's really what it's all about. A business is one way, and for most people, probably the, the best way to create that in your life. And there's as many layers and types of businesses as there are people in the world. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about why I'm doing this show today, why I chose the topic I did, and why I'm taking the angle I did with it. But really, this is the last Just Jack show before the before the rewind series tomorrow we'll have an expert council show and i got a big announcement for you on expert council let me give you that right now um, one of my favorite people uh online today is dr ken berry i've had him on the show at least three times he's an amazing guy and for those that have followed my path and, and what have you with ketogenics um i don't know that you guys know how much my life has changed since August of last year when I decided I needed to like grab hold of this and do something with it. Uh, I used low carb paleo things in the past and I had, you know, done fairly well, but I always fell back off of it. It was something that I was unable to maintain. I, I would do well and then I would I would fall off the wagon, so to say. And in August of last year, I, I embraced ketogenics. Uh, wholly and fully, 100%. I also reduced my alcohol intake to almost nothing. And even now, I might drink a couple light beers here and there, but that's it. Uh, we go out to eat, I might have a drink, but pretty much I don't drink hardly at all anymore, and I stick to a very ketogenic diet. And um, a huge help in that was the advice of Dr. Ken Berry, both directly and indirectly through his YouTube channel, which has well over a million subscribers. Well, it's my pleasure to announce to you that Kenberry has officially joined the expert council. He will broaden our medical knowledge uh, along with Doc Bones and Nurse Amy. He will broaden our nutritional knowledge along with Gary Collins. And he's an amazing guy, and it's a huge win for this community. He's already answered two questions from the audience. And uh, he will make his debut appearance on the Survival Podcast tomorrow. So just a little announcement there leading off. And um, Anyway, we'll have that expert council show tomorrow. And then I'm gone. And I'm gone for the longest I've ever been gone from TSP ever since the since the the, the genesis of this show. I, I've never been away from the show for almost three weeks. I'm leaving on a Monday, and I'll have two full weeks, and then three days, and then I'll be back on the Thursday of the third week. I oh I'd almost decided to just make it 15 rewinds and just take the extra week, but I decided that was a little too much. And it led me to put together this 13-part series that I talked to you guys about on Tuesday. And it is, I, I really believe, some of the best work that I've ever done. And I think it's maybe somewhat synchronous, uh, that some synchronicity here, that TSP turns on Saturday, which will be the day after the last show before the Rewind starts, 12. It was June the 20th, 2008. 
that I got into the car and for the first time said, welcome to the Survival Podcast. So we are hitting 12 years, and right as we hit this 12 years, you're getting this 13-part series. This 13-part series is designed to do, among other things, help you get what you want in your life. And I, I explained a lot about that, so I won't go deeply into that today. Uh, if you want to know more and you didn't listen to Tuesday's show, listen to Tuesday's show. But I thought today, I need to give people something to want. I mean, there's a plenty. Of, you're going to figure out what you want, by the way. But I want to like prime the pump with wants. And I, I really feel that if you were to force me, if you were to say, Jack, tell me the three things that a person can do, that, that, they're, that absolutely anyone, if they really want to, can do, that will have the biggest impact on having more freedom and liberty in their individual lives. I would say, number one, get at least far enough away from big cities to avoid most of the problems that go along with them. Because so much of what you're going to want to do will be impeded if you live in the middle of Manhattan or Dallas or Atlanta or Jacksonville or whatever. Like, I'm not saying you have to be completely divorced from big cities, but far enough away that their problems aren't your problems. And that also includes don't go replacing them with something like an HOA. So get out. right? Number two... Set up at least a small holding homestead. Half an acre is plenty, if, if, if that's enough for you, right? And that homestead should provide you some of your food and a lot of beauty in your life. Just your place that you live, that you are going to spend more effort and more money on than just about anything else in your life. You, when you are in your home and when you walk out your back door, you should feel like you're in a place you want to be. And most Americans don't. They feel like, I wish I could go somewhere else. Wherever that somewhere else is, go there and grow. Go there and grow as a person. Grow there, go there and grow as a family. Grow, go there and grow spiritually. Go there and grow food. And you don't have to be a big garden or anything. I don't care if somebody's version of grow some of your own food is a little herb garden and, and some flowers. right? Whatever works for you. But something that approaches the concept of homesteading. Okay, and it, again, it doesn't have to be like this full-on YouTube channel-worthy homestead. In fact, for most people, probably shouldn't. Basic, simplistic things. Number three, create a source of income independent of employment in the conventional sense. In other words, stop trading your time for money. Not instantly. You need to set things up. If you have a job, it's your primary source of income. I get it. But in some way, in some way, Create some level of economic self-sufficiency for yourself. And, man, this is something that I, I want to be motivational with you today, but I'm also going to have to be honest. So first, the reason I chose independent income for today's title over starting a business is I really don't care how you do it. And I understand being a very entrepreneurial person and being someone that I, I really believe if you took away everything I had right now, that in six months I'd have something else and I would build another business. I really believe that because actually it would be easier because now I know so much more about how, right? So I understand that that's my bent. But I really don't care how you create self-sufficiency in the form of wealth in your life. I don't care how, I just care that. And that brings us to our quote of the day before I, I go into some kind of dark shit that's also pushing this. Our quote today is by Buckminster Fuller. This is what he said about wealth. Wealth is the measure of a person's ability to survive so many days forward. 
So Buckminster Fuller didn't believe that we should be measuring our wealth in dollars. And do but dollars could be part of it. But really, how many days forward can you survive independent of somebody else's choices for your life? And if you think about it, it's a much more sane way to evaluate your wealth. What do I say make the most of your dash? If you're earning money, what are you earning for? What do we say about earning money? We have to earn a what? A living. We have to earn a living. What if you had a living and you didn't have to earn it anymore? What if you had part of a living so you didn't have to earn that part anymore? Then you might actually start living instead of working for a living. Doesn't that sound kind of sick, really? I'm working for a living. Really? See, I, I think you'd be better off if you were living. Period. Full stop. We, we do live in a modern society where a lot of things have been done, and money becomes a, a, a significant component of how we get a lot of things done. But the more we can have that doesn't cost us money, the less money we need. And the more money we can have without doing direct work or work that we would prefer not to do, the more actual living we can do. I, know, I mean, I know that sounds overly simplified, but it really isn't. So I don't really care how you create independent income for yourself. And I'm going to give you like everything you need to know today about getting this done from a standpoint of really business ownership. But it will all apply to whatever you want to apply it to. But here's the, here's the bad part. Here's the bad part. And I think we'll know which one we're going to get in the next 60 days. A recession is coming, full stop. That's where I want to start out with. A recession is coming, full stop. We're already in a recession. They can talk about recovery, blah, 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 all they want. This went on too long. We did too much damage. On top of it, we pumped out trillions of extra dollars. And like I said, we didn't get hyperinflation. And we're not going to, because when you put money in a hole, you don't get a pile. I said that long ago. But the hole being as big as it was, we're getting a recession. How bad, how deep, how long? Don't know. We are getting a recession now. And it's not going to be a V-shaped recovery recession where by the time the election day comes, we're not in a recession anymore. If we do things right, it may not look that bad. But this is going to be a protracted, long recession. We have gone too long with this shutdown. And fear and a desire, I believe, by some people to actually cause a recession is causing us to be absolutely asinine. You can think whatever you want about COVID, but here's the reality. COVID is a disease. It's here. We have a pandemic. No matter what you do, you have a pandemic. You can lock everybody up, pandemic. You can have people come out, pandemic. The entire concept of locking people down was to flatten the curve, not to change the number of people in it. As long as we are not overloading hospitals, locking down the economy is the wrong answer. There's some restrictions we can put in place, some common sense we can put in place, and that's about all we can do because you're getting a pandemic. Getting a recession was not something that had to happen. We chose to have it. So now we get a pandemic and a recession. Here's the worst part. Like I said, a recession is coming, not might be, is. We may be getting a depression. 
an actual depression, something that almost no living person has actually ever seen. And so no one really understands what that actually means. You can understand it academically. I mean, when I say no one, I mean even me. Only people that live through a depression truly understand what a depression is. It's like saying you understand war by reading about it. I understand war because I read about it, and I went to a place sometime and some people shot at me, and I went to another place where I was scared. No, you don't understand war. You have an empathy for war, but you don't understand it. Only a person who's seen war understands war. And that's why it's so easy to get people to cheer for war that have never seen a war. It's really easy to get people that have never seen a war to cheer for war. It's not so easy to get people that have fought a war to cheer for a war. And that's that's dark, and I know it, and I understand it. That, that you, This is probably not what you tuned in for, and I'm hoping that by the end of the show you're still revved up. In fact, you're more revved up than you were before you started, even though I just gave you some pretty bad news. And i got to tell you two more bullet points before we go on and we turn the corner to, hey, I want to feel a little bit better today, Jack. So here's the next thing. One reason I know this is coming is real estate in major cities across the nation is about to crash, and it's going to be led by a drop in rents. And, yes, I'm serious. I know that seems crazy, but in these major cities like San Francisco, Seattle, et cetera, that are tech-heavy, not only do you have riots going on, but you also now have this protracted extended lockdown. Massive numbers of high-tech workers who really never needed to be at their job in the first place being sent to work from home. And a lot of them are starting to say, we're not going back to the office anytime soon. In fact, I kind of like this. And they're leaving. And it's not like millions upon millions of them. You don't need millions upon millions. When you have... Real estate functioning with pricing models that's at capacity. In other words, there's not really a lot of availability. And anybody, any, you know, like 2, 3%, 4% of residents leave and stop renting. Rents in San Francisco alone have dropped by about 10% over the past 60 days. Now, when I put that on Facebook, a lot of people want to be in denial because it is more than a river in Egypt. Oh, it's still expensive as hell. That makes no difference at all. It does if you're the landlord who can now not get enough in rent to cover servicing the mortgage. And this is not like a stair step, like it's going to come down 10% and stay there. It will continue to dwindle. Every time, every time, 1% more of residents go outside of that area because why am I paying so much to live here? I'm locked down. I'm locked down, so I can't go anywhere and do all this nightlife city bullshit anyway. Okay, People are rioting, and I no longer need to drive to work or take the train to work or whatever. And for a lot less money, I can get a lot more house if I go over here, and as long as my computer works, my job works, and my lease is coming up. Bye. The problem with real estate is it doesn't matter where property values begin to, to drop en masse first, it is a thread that you start pulling out of a tapestry. And it's coming. And it'll be all the big cities first. It'll start to percolate down. And it'll cause, I think, a fairly significant drop in real estate value across the country. Now, it's going to hit the higher value properties hardest. And that means if you're a landlord and you specialize in kind of very affordable housing, and when I say affordable, I mean, you know, stuff that the average person that has a good job can afford, you're probably going to be fine. 
as long as you don't want to get out from your property investment because people are going to have to move down in property. So actually, the lower down you are without being in the slums, the better off you'll be because somebody that was you know, up at the, the, the top 5 percentile is going to need to move down into like the top 30 percentile. See how that works? So that's what stabilizes it for the landlords, but the overall property values are going to take a shit in the bed. Hard. Hard. And there's, there's more than this. I'll let you have a good 13 days while I'm gone. When I come back, I'll talk about more about why I think this is coming. But this is what I want you to understand. There is minimum a recession coming. Minimum. Okay. To give you an idea, my investments right now, I'm in about 60... My investments that are even in the category to be in equities, I'm 60% cash right now. Okay? Just putting it out there. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just putting it out there. Right? Because here's the thing. There is literally nothing at all. And I know this is going to sound hopeless, but I'm about to make you very hopeful. Because what I'm going to say is countered by everything else we're going to talk about from here on forward. There is literally nothing that you can do to stop this from coming at this point. You can't pray it away. You can't vote it away. You can't argue it away. There is nothing you can do. They have done too much damage. The economy has got to go through some real pain before it can recover. How long? depends on what is done over the next 60 days. It, it really does. If, if we will stand through this, you know, this spike, which is just a pandemic doing what it's going to do. The reason you're seeing more cases in places like Texas and Florida isn't because they opened up first. It's because they never had that many cases. And I said this back when it was going on with New York. Like, New York City is going to do fine because 40, 50% of the damn cities had COVID. There's just not enough places for it to really spread anymore. You have all these people walking around that are immune to it now. Until they start letting a lot of people come in from outside, you don't really have the vector anymore, and you have uh, half of your city capable of uh, no longer acquiring this because there were so many asymptomatic and mildly symptomatic cases. And when we look at antibody testing, we know that two and a half months ago, Governor Cuomo said in New York City, 25% of residents have had COVID. That's two and a half months ago. Now, time flies when you're having fun, right? So it's in really great shape, not because it locked down, because that, because it had a high population density. How many people got infected? Texas, Florida, Arizona, etc. We had very, very low numbers. Sooner or later, no matter what you do, lockdown or not, that's kind of the point, you're going to deal with it. It's going to cycle through. You're just going to have to. And you'll find that when you look at the real numbers, not the fake ones on the TV, the death rate is very low. And here's the little statistic from Jeffrey Tucker. I didn't verify this. I don't have to. When it comes from Jeffrey Tucker, you just consider it being valid. He does not. This man is meticulous. He does not put out data that is not provably true. The median age, that means more than half. That's what median means. Median doesn't mean average. You take the middle and everything above the middle. You know, It was one me and the other. Okay. The median age of death from COVID in the United States, meaning more than half of all deaths from COVID, is eight years older than the average life expectancy in America. It still sucks for those people. It sucks for their families. And it sucks for all the people that were younger that had complications or just for some reason it hit them hard. But in the end, you don't stop pandemics. 
you can slow down a pandemic, and then the other side of that is if you slow something down that's going to do what it's going to do, it just lasts longer. So the only reason to slow it down is to prevent over overwhelming the healthcare system. We screwed it up. We screwed the pooch royally here. You could disagree with me, but we did. Or you could say it was necessary, and okay, then we still did. We're still where we are. Recession is coming. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You can't pray it away. You can't argue it away. You can't meme it away. You can't call your senator. You can't. I just want you to understand that in in the coming of whatever economically is coming, you have no control. Because if you accept that, then maybe you'll say, you know what? Damn it, Jack's right. I better focus on what I can control. What you can do is build something of your own. That's what you can do. And you might think, this is this idiot forecasting a depression, potentially, a recession, definitely, and telling me to start a business? Uh, yes. Yes, I am. And people started businesses right smack in the middle of the Great Depression and became very, very wealthy. And there's a reason. There's a reason. Recessions, depressions, etc. are opportunities. If you have money, they're opportunities for acquisition. If you don't have a lot of money, but you have the right three things that I'm about to give you, they're an opportunity to build something. But before I give you those, I want to tell you about something that somebody sent to me one time that was about jobs. When John Pugliano really started, uh, John Pugliano and I really started talking about how this automation wave is coming, which is going to come much faster now. Everything that was coming because of COVID is going to come faster. And a lot of it was going to be highly disruptive. But now since it's going to come faster, it's going to be more disruptive. That's part of the, the... So either we have a short, quick, brutal recession, if we're smart enough in the next 60 days to stand through this without being a bunch of cowards, we either have a long, protracted recession if we only do a little bit of stupid, and if we go full stupid again, we have a depression. Those are your three options, right? And when John Pugliano and I started talking about automation... I got pushback. Well, the jobs aren't going to go away. And somebody sent me something that was very astute. It just wasn't properly directed. It was a, a reason that the automation uh, innovation age would not take away jobs, would not create massive unemployment. And it all hinged upon a single statement that absolutely is true, except the word jobs doesn't belong in there. He said the reason we won't run out of jobs is because we won't run out of problems. And as long as there are problems, people need solutions, so there will be jobs providing those solutions. <laughs> so close. So close. We will never run out of problems, so there will always be opportunities for you to be a solution to those problems. Full stop. It may not be in the form of a job. Twelve years ago, Twelve years ago, just two short days shy of today, twelve years ago, so three, you know, 11 years and uh, 363 days ago, I got into my car. I took a $20 tape player, and we were heading into a recession. Smack into one. Some of my earliest shows were, hey, get your money out of the stock market. Here's a recession coming, okay? Beginning of a recession, like a $20 recorder. Started doing the show, and in 18 months, sold out my, my interest in my other businesses and walked away. And I've done nothing but this show since. 
18 months in the middle of a recession, starting a podcast with a couple hundred dollars worth of web hosting and graphics and a $20 recorder and a $30 headset. That's not a brag. It's just a thing. In fact, the entire point is, if I can, you can too. Because recessions equal problems, problems equal opportunities, opportunities, when capitalized on, can equal income. So it could be jobs. There could be some jobs that will be created. But what is going to be created is opportunity. So then you can capitalize on that opportunity by working for somebody else who might fail and then get rid of you. Or you can capitalize on that opportunity for yourself. And when a person says, but what can I do? When it comes to starting a business, earning income, whatever. When a person says, what can I do? Their problem is a lack of three things. And they rhyme just because, well, they happen to. So it, maybe it'll be memorable. Number one, motivation. Number two, imagination. Number three, determination. No, I didn't get that from somewhere else. Made it up this morning, thought about it, said this is a true thing. If you are sufficiently motivated, then you can figure out something to do about your situation. And nothing will motivate your ass more than a real problem. Now, you have a choice. You can wait for the problem to come to you, or you can anticipate the problem and get motivated now. Imagination. Imagination drives everything. There's a lot of times I've made like one-liners and something like that. People are like, I don't get it. I'm like, then you lack imagination. You lack imagination. Because if you, if you had the imagination... Right? Here's a, here is a quote. The book I, I mention often called Illusions, Confessions of a Reluctant Messiah. Uh, Richard is a self-described, you know, is the author and he has himself inserted into this fiction story and he meets this master named Donald. And they're sitting at a cafe having burgers. And Richard's explaining some of his problems about not being able to understand something. And a sesame seed has fallen from his uh, Donald's bun. And he takes the sesame seed and he pushes it across the table to Richard. And he said, Richard, if you had but the imagination of this, of this sesame seed, you'd be able to understand this. And, of course, Richard says, don't you mean faith of a mustard seed? And Donald basically says, imagination is way more important when it comes to understanding things. You need imagination because solutions to problems come in two forms. The known solutions, which you can capitalize on. Sure, you can capitalize on But then you're competing with everybody else in that market of solutions. And the yet-to-be-determined solutions. The yet-to-be-determined solutions, by its very nature, doesn't exist yet, Right? We need to invent technology that's never, not even existing yet, right? Okay, that's a legitimate thing in some ways. Imagination is how you get there. You could say it's education, intelligence, whatever, but you have to apply imagination. You have to be able to see the thing before the thing is. And even if you're using existing solutions, sometimes the way they're put together, the way they're presented, the way they're delivered, you look at Uber and Lyft, and things like them. The idea of, I need to get somewhere, so I pay somebody to drive me there in a car, is not a, was not an imaginative and new solution. It wasn't. It was like, yeah, we'll we call those taxis. 
We also have car services. But those are the two that we have. And somebody said, why does it have to be that? There's cars everywhere. There's people that need money. There's people with nothing to do. Their cars sit 90% of the time. They want jobs. Maybe they don't need jobs. Maybe they need a way to make money with their car. I'll make this electronic thing where they can be found, and now people can pay to get a ride in a car. There's just more availability, more classes of service, more quick response time, better feedback. I mean, everything was better, but it's nothing nothing about Uber or Lyft or any service like them. You know, like Rover, where people will pet sit and walk your dog for you. The idea that you would pay somebody to pet sit, walk your dog, check on your pets when you're at work or gone on vacation, nothing new about that. But the, the imagination was how do we apply what Uber and Lyft did to this problem? So sometimes imagination is a totally new solution. Sometimes imagination is putting things together in a different way or simply presenting them in a different way. You're the same solution that everybody else does, but you are better at communicating it to your potential customer through marketing. And your solution is innovative to them because you did not lack imagination. So if motivation and imagination are two of the three, what do you think the third one is? Determination. When a person says, but what can I do? They lack motivation, imagination, and determination. You get those three, and you'll figure something out that works for you. And when you figure that out, you'll figure out something that also works for others. That's how you generate income. And it can be very passive. It can be very active. What I do is a very active form of income generation. Even though I don't have a job, I do have something I do every day, and I have to do it. If I stop doing it, eventually the money runs out. But I love what I do, so it's okay. But if I didn't really like what I did, I would need to find a way to generate the money without actively, so I could work on my business rather than in it. I love working in my business. Doing a show like I'm doing today is one of the greatest senses of, of, of meaningful work that I can have. Knowing that somebody, I don't care if, you know, 200,000 plus people listen to this show and all but two of them go, eh, I don't feel like doing that. If two people, because of this show alone, create something in their lives, then I get every bit of what I need out of doing this. And I know that law of numbers at this point, that it's going to happen. I've had way too many people write me and say, I did this because you said. So I know somebody somewhere will do it. So I have this incredible meaning in what I'm doing. So that's the type of business I built. If you want to do something that's more along the lines of I want to be passive, you can do that. But it's all going to come down to motivation. You have to be motivated. You have to want it. You have to have the imagination to see it for yourself so you can build it to your own design. And then you have to do, have the determination to see it through. And that, that, that even applies to, like, I'm going to go do DoorDash deliveries. Sure, it's easy, but I guarantee you, you, you pull 20 DoorDash people, and some of them make a, God, a lot of money. Some of them make less money, but they do a lot less work, and some barely survive. Some almost It almost costs them as much to do the job as to... As, is what they earn. Why? Because some of them have motivation, but they don't have imagination. And some of them have motivation, imagination, not determination. And honestly, any, any two of those can actually hurt you. You have too much imagination and determination, but not enough motivation. You sit around and do nothing. You have too much motivation and determination, but not enough imagination. You do too much of the wrong thing. You can work out the other, the other ratios for yourself there. And yes, it's that simple. If you have those three things and work on those three things with the goal of producing income for yourself, you can succeed. 
Don't make it more complicated. Don't be like, Jack left a lot. Man, I, that's too easy. It's not easy. I want you to get used to that concept. I've been saying it a long time. You're going to hear it a lot in the next 13 days once I go away, starting Monday. Simple and easy are different things. Simple is something you can do. Easy is something that's easy to do. And the reason so many of these things are simple, but they're not easy, is it's always easier not to. It's always, it's always easier just to go along to get along. It's always easier to let things be. So don't ask for anything more than that. Those are your three areas to work on in the realm of what you want to accomplish. And it applies to more than money and wealth and business. But that's what we're talking about today. Now, I'm going to give you a list of rules on sales and marketing. And you can go take and get a freaking master's degree in marketing. And most people that do won't know these rules when they come out. And these rules are really all you need to do to be successful. That doesn't mean you won't need more. But if you make these your foundation, and you, you add to it motivation, imagination, and determination, anything you need, you will figure out how to do, how to accomplish, how to hire out, how to buy along the way. So, the only rules of sales and marketing you need to know. There are only two types of products in the whole world. There are physical goods and there are services. And you, you can try to break that. If you try to break it, you're missing the point. And by the way, services include electronic products. Anything that is delivered to a person where they do not get a thing. You got widgets and not widgets. You got material and immaterial. If I come install something for you, I've sold you a thing, but I've also sold you a service, something immaterial. When I leave, the service is not left behind. Right? Well, you sold me a warranty, so I sold you the possibility of a service in the future. I sold you freedom from worry. That's what insurance is. Right? It's a non-physical good. You have services, non-physical goods, same thing. You have physical goods. And the reason it's important to not try to be, you know, the guy that you see on TV that's at like a sci-fi convention and he's like, uh, please to answer my query back in episode, and he's asking some star back in 20, episode 27, you said this, but in episode 38, you said that. And they like, if you try to do that here, basically you're the student that's not ready for the teacher. I'm sorry. The point of doing this exercise and understanding these rules is you can very, very quickly quantify anything that you want to do into one of those categories, and then you know how to market and sell it. It will follow those rules. People buy for a very few number of reasons. In fact, there's only two reasons. People buy things. They either need it or they want it. They need it or they want it. So what is the need? A need is if I don't get this thing, I'm going to die. If I don't, if I don't, if I don't buy this thing, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm gonna have no shelter. So I would call renting a house or renting an apartment a need. That's you're selling to a need. And the only other reason is they want it. There's nothing else. And the more broad a need market is, the more difficult it is to enter and compete in. So there are things that we put in the need category that aren't needed to the point. If I do without this, I will be dead. Homeless people generally don't have electricity in their lives, okay? And they don't die because they don't have electricity. But when it comes down to it, the reason people build an off-grid cabin with solar power is we see electricity as a need. So if you want to enter the electrical market, 
very, very high bar to enter, extremely competitive, almost impossible for the individual to compete in. When you enter the want market, since wants are limitless and problems are unlimited, opportunities are unlimited. Now, there can be overlap here. So food is a need, but, you know, high-end, locally grown, organic food is not needed. It's wanted. So how do you go in the food market? You find a sub-niche within that market, a vertical is what we call it, a vertical that is a, that is a want. And you get really good at making that want fit and explaining your message of how that want fits somebody's life. Okay. Now, I know some of you really struggle with ma making things this simple, so it's going to get even worse for you in a second. It really is. But trust me, I've been doing this a long time, and this is the formula I've built everything I've ever built successfully on, including every marketing campaign that I ever built from brands that were little local brands to giant mega brands. I've built campaigns around these things for them. So we either have taken this product into the need or the want realm. If the product is a want, there's only three motivations. And anything will fit within one of them, and many will fit in overlaps of them. They are, I will buy this thing because, in fact, this is true of, understand something. When I say every product sells because of want or need, I am now including both the physical and the service. The electronic, the immaterial and the material, right? Okay? So it doesn't matter whether I am buying something that's a service or a physical good or an electronic thing that goes under service because it's delivered to me as a service. There's only three things that will make me buy it if it's not an absolute need. And they are because it is either profitable, entertaining, or life-changing. If I can buy something and I know that it will put more money in my pocket than I'm spending, it's an easy decision. So, for instance, my membership program, if you're going to use the discounts, it is literally a no-brainer. I spend $50. Over a year, I save $75, $125, $130, bucks, whatever it is. Well, that's easy. That's easy. Like, why, why wouldn't you? The only reason you wouldn't is you don't believe that's actually going to be the case. Or for you, you look at all the discounts and say, well, I won't, I won't use this stuff. So I, I won't get a profit out of this. But if a product is truly profitable, it's an easy sale. The only challenge you have is to convey to the buyer this is profitable. And you have to understand that profit is more than directly money. Almost every product in some way the person feels is profitable. Because they're going to get at least equal or greater value than they're extending or they wouldn't buy it. We don't generally look at an item and say, well, I think that item's worth $5 and they want $50, so I'll buy it anyway. So on some level, almost any product we buy is at least in our mind profitable. It's a motivation to buy. And we're talking about motivations here. Entertaining. There's a lot of things I consume that don't really profit me. And when I, when I first put out this information out years ago, people said, ah, you left one out, education. See, they're trying to be clever. Education is profitable. If I put together a course and you view the value of the knowledge to be greater than the cost of the course, it's profitable to you. You've walked away with a skill set or a knowledge set that exceeds the value you've, you've tended for it. Okay? So, number two, so now we're clear, right? Number two is entertaining. 
So if I go watch a Star Wars movie, which the last one they made was just awful. Oh, my God. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. Holy crap. Just going to say, I know it'll twerk some of you off, but Spaceballs was a more believable and imaginative and original storyline than Rise of Skywalker. Well, let's say I, I, I pay money to see a Star Wars movie. I don't expect to be educated. I don't expect to come away and have the power of the Jedi Force. I expect to be entertained. I want it because I want to escape reality for a while. I want to be entertained. Disney has seen to it that that won't happen. How they're actually producing Mandalorian and the new Star Wars movies, I don't understand because they, they have to be separated somehow from somebody in control because one is so good and one is so bad. But I'm escaping. So I if I if I buy Disney streaming service just to see Mandalorian, and I'm happy with that, I bought that for entertainment. I don't expect to now be able to make a Mandalorian suit of armor out of it. There's nothing profitable about it. Right? I don't now have more because of it, other than I got entertained for a time. And the last one is life-changing. People will buy a product or a service because they believe it will change their life for the better. That's it. That's the only... And I know there's some of you that are just trying to find ways to break this. And again, if you're doing that, you're wasting your time and my time. Because you're not going to break it. Because no matter what you come up with, it will. If you, if you reverse engineer it, it will fit into one of these three headlines. That's the whole point. So when you... This is why this is important. So when you decide you want to do something, you want to mark a product or a service... You first determine whether you, first of all, you know you want to be in the needs side of the equation. Even if you're in a space that is a want, I'm sorry, as, as, a, as a, I'm sorry, you want to be in the want side. If you're in a space that is a need, food, you have to sell to, even if you're in a need, you need to sell to the want. Okay? And you have to be very clear about your message around the want. Features tell, benefits sell. So we're going to sell the benefit on the want side. Okay. Then we need to know our product is either physical or non-physical. So that will help tell us how we're going to deliver it, and it will channel our marketing message based around that. Then we need to know when we're going to market the want. Am I going to market the product? Am I going to communicate about the product? Am I going to sell the product based on the merits of its profitability, its entertainment value, or its life-changing potential? See, if I want to really screw with your mind and say there's only only profitable and entertaining because life-changing is profitable. But it is so distinct that it warrants a third bullet point under that category. Once we know that, we can develop marketing and sales material, whether it's just me talking to one person at a time or reaching millions through broad-scale advertising. doesn't matter. I can formulate the message I need instantly and easily once I understand that. And if you really want to make your life easy as an entrepreneur, then you want what I call the golden trifecta of product marketing. You want a product that you can market as profitable, that you can market as entertaining, and that you can market as life-changing. If you really want me to bend your brain, if you do the product right and you put it out in the right format, your market will define it that way for you and you're unstoppable. And that is how I built TSP. I believe that my show is profitable to you. I put out, and beyond the show, like the whole community, I put out a thing today on how to make your own plants on Facebook. For those of you that follow me, there's these people selling these balls, right? A little plastic ball with a hinge. 
and you score a plant, you make a, a wound on a plant stalk, you fill the little ball with soil, you keep it moist, and you close it around the plant. And you wait for a while. And the plant will make roots in the ball. So then you open the ball, you cut the plant off, and now you have a, cut, a clone and you can plant it somewhere else. So in return for buying this ball, you can make plants. Well, I put out a post today on Facebook that said, I've been asked about this a lot, I've been seeing these ads a lot. Seems like a whole bunch of companies came out with them at the same time because everything's done in a chop shop in China. Um, this is called air layering um, or air budding. It's the same thing. And it's been around forever. It's just a form of layering. The easiest form of layering is you take a, let's say a Blackberry, and you make a score in it, and you bend the cane down, and you bury it and weight it down in the ground, and you water it till it roots, cut it off, you got a new plant growing right where it started, or you can dig it up and transplant it. Problem with dig it up and transplant it. Well, the problem with digging it up and transplanting it is you can do some root damage, and you can stunt the growth of the plant. If you use a cloning ball, when you open it up, the roots are not disturbed, and wherever you plant it, it grows in place, and we don't have to ever dig it up again. So that's what this product is, that's what it does, and that's what it's offering you as a value. However, it's made of plastic, and all it does is hold wet dirt around a, a stock. So you can do, and I put out a playlist on YouTube of a bunch of videos some guy put together of how to do this with plastic water bottles and other plastic containers. And I said, like, there are literally millions of these things going into landfills. Society's not ready to give up single-use plastic yet. So with this knowledge, you can replace these balls, which are expensive if you want to make a lot of plants, and you can make as many plants as you want. Okay, what I just gave you there, if you take it and use it, it is profitable. It is profitable because plants are anywhere from $10 to $50 a plant. If you go make 10 plants at $10, it's $100. So I just put $100 in your pocket by giving you skill and knowledge for free. So I believe, when I say we're profitable, I believe we're profitable. Number two, I'm an audio show. If I wasn't entertaining ever, if I didn't make you laugh ever, you wouldn't tune in, boom, entertaining, life-changing. I have enough testimonials from enough people in this audience that I know the show's life-changing. I have enough people that spend $500 in a week once a year to come spend a week at my house with the other people from this community and be here together and talk about how it changed their life. So I know I have all three. And I didn't really define it that way. I let it define itself. I knew what I was doing when I put it together, though. Let me tell you, I'm giving, people say, like, you know, people won't give you their secret sauce or whatever. I'm literally giving you everything that I used to build what amounts to a small empire. I'm, I, I'm giving, you could be my competitor tomorrow with my formula. I'm giving it away. Because I believe that's what real teachers do. If you don't, if you won't do that, you're, you can be a good person and not do that, but you're not a teacher. If you hold back from your student, You are not a good, you're a shitty teacher if you are a teacher at all. All right. Now, now we got to go through sales and marketing defined as two different things. And I believe that both of these that I'm about to give you are absolute definitions. You don't need anything more. You can get a whole bunch from them. But when somebody says, what is sales? You can answer with three words and be full stop done. Transfer of belief. All I'm going to do to sell you a thing is transfer belief. Once I have belief transfer, assuming you have the money and the need or the want for the thing I've transferred the belief about, you'll buy it. Period. Now, you might not really want it. You might not need it. Or you might not have the money. But put those, take those away and 
That's the only thing I have to do to get you to purchase a product or a service from me. Is make you believe that it will fit what you need. And it's easiest to do when it truly is a belief. In other words, it's, it's something I truly believe. You know, I, I got into a very, very short period of my life where I sold insurance because I wanted to get in sales so bad, I was willing to do anything to at least get a sales track record and get sales training. So I went to work for this company, and they did a really good job of selling me. Like, the two weeks of training I got before I went out in the field wasn't really training me how to sell. It was making me believe in the product. And I did. I believed in the product. I believe we had one of the best values in the insurance industry, and I knew I had enough product knowledge to know how insurance worked. I took my test, got my license, all that stuff, and I sold a lot fast, really fast. So much so that at a time when most people that are selling insurance are still killing themselves to sell insurance, the agency I was working for started giving me the ability to work existing customers and increase their underlying coverage. That's something you, you generally in the insurance world, you only get to do that for yourself after you build a book of business. No one gives you that. I was doing good enough they gave me that. And as they did that, I began to take a look at competitive products, and I began to realize what they were actually having me do. And I lost faith. I lost my belief in the company and the product line. And I mechanically did everything the same way. If you would have sent somebody and videoed, You might have been like, he's a little flatter there or whatever, but he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't make any mistakes. My sales went to shit, and I quit because I knew what happened. Since I no longer had the belief, I had nothing to transfer. You could say all the right words. You could even have good delivery. Me at my worst in delivery is better than most people when it comes to sales. But without the belief, it's gone. It's almost like the magic of the force of the Jedi. These are not the droids you're looking for. You really want to buy the other droids. Okay, It's almost like that, but instead of being some sort of mystical power that you wield, it's simply a law of nature. When you believe something, the other party knows you believe it. I don't think there's anybody that listens to this show that's like, Jack doesn't believe his own bullshit. There's even people thinking, he's wrong, but you don't think I'm lying to you. You don't think I'm fabricating it. You're like, this man believes what he says. And that means if you're going to object to it, you're going to object to it on merits or pure hatred. Which I, those people, I, some of you, I don't know why you listen. It's, it's funny to me. I have, I have a lot of a lot of uh, contemporaries in podcasting now that are just starting to find they're getting big enough to have haters. And they're like, "Why do these people show up?" I'm like, "I don't know." But if you don't have haters, you're not big enough yet. So the more haters you have, the better, right? Um, but I don't think you know anybody doubts that I believe that I'm giving you a good value when I sell you MSB, for instance. Like you might not agree that the fits there. You're like, "I, I live in I live in France, dude." Your discounts don't apply to me. Okay, I understand. I actually agree with you then. I don't think if you're in France, you get a good monetary return for MSB. Some people that live in France, honestly, become MSB members because they want to voluntarily pay for the content that they get. Okay, I, I appreciate that too. You know, Maybe you can share a discount code with a friend or something. I, I don't know. But I believe in what I'm selling or I wouldn't sell it. So transfer a belief. That's all you need to know how to, 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 know how to sell. You have to find your belief in the thing, and if you don't believe in it, find something else to sell. Marketing. People think sales and marketing are the same thing. They're not, but I also believe marketing has a full, absolute definition. It's very, very short. Also three words, telling your story. That's all marketing is, telling your story. 
So you tell the story of your thing to generate interest, and you transfer the belief in your thing to make a sale. That's it. Full stop. Don't try, again, like I said earlier, don't try to make it more complicated. Don't try to break the formula. There's a lot of things you do to market a product, but if you understand when I put together a marketing campaign for this widget or for this service widget, I need to tell this thing's story. I need to tell my story about it. I need to be compelling, and I need to make the benefit clear based on the want of the potential buyer. Once I have the interest, I then need a formula to transfer the belief that this is the right widget and I will get a lot of sales and things will work. You can go, you can get a, a BA and then a master's in marketing and they won't teach you more than I just gave you for free. I'm sorry. So let's just keep going and give you more. Everybody talks about viral marketing today. I want to go viral. I want to go viral. Most of the brands that want to go viral, they don't really want to go viral because they don't understand what viral means. They want Because I, I dealt with this years ago when, when all this stuff was really starting up, when you had to convince a company that it was okay for them to have a YouTube channel. I don't know if you get this because it's so, it's so obvious today. But even back in like 2008 when I started doing the show, I had major brands when you said we need to set up a YouTube channel, a Facebook page, and a Twitter account for you guys. And they would say, that's sophomoric. That's for kids. You're like, well, every major presidential candidate, has, oh, that's different. Like, that apply to me. Right? So this, this concept of going viral, is, it, it, we, it's not limited to this world that we live in today where we think of viral like, Hey, we're going to put this out on YouTube, and then people are going to share it. And if you if you get the definition of viral marketing, which is also a very simple and absolute definition, it all becomes clear. So that definition is when others tell your story. That's it. Sales is a transfer of belief. Marketing is telling your story. Viral marketing is getting other people to tell your story for you. Now, this is where you have to be careful. And this is where the brands that wanted to go viral, that always had resistance to going viral, had a point. But instead of harnessing the point and using it and channeling it, they used it as an excuse to make sure they didn't get what they wanted. They wanted full control. I want to go viral. Okay, well, then we'll do this. Well, then other people will say things, and I won't be able to control. Nah. Of course other people will say things that you can't control. That's viral. If you're controlling it, it's not viral. It's not organic. It's not natural. And it's going to happen, good or bad, anyway. So what you want to do with viral marketing is you want to be so concise and effective at telling your story and guiding people in how they tell your story that they're able to tell your story as close as possible to the way that you would prefer that they do. You're not going to get exact. I get very frustrated with people. I'll say something and I'll listen to them say, well, Jack said, and I'm like, that is not what I said. And I have to always come to peace with they're doing the best they can. That, but that is, not, that is not what I said. So when you market effectively, viral marketing occurs. And because of that, you have to be mindful in the way that you package and market your product and services with the understanding that I need this to be something. That when somebody tries to explain it, it makes sense and it doesn't hurt me. If it makes sense and it doesn't hurt you, it's good. It's effective viral marketing. And it isn't new. It isn't new at all. It's just on steroids today. 
And viral can work for you or against you. When everybody says Tim sucks, Tim sucks, and Tim's not getting more business. When everybody says Tim's great, Tim's great, and Tim's getting more business. Doesn't matter if Tim's a handyman, right? Like Tim the Toolman Cook from our show, from our expert council, and that is happening within his small local community. It doesn't matter if Tim is a, a global brand and his viral marketing is happening through people making TikTok videos about him, good or bad. So you have to do a good job, and you have to be able to clearly articulate why when somebody hates you, you don't care. You have to be willing to fire a customer and say, this guy doesn't qualify for my business, bye. Because that way, when that negative viral thing hits, you're back to P.T. Barnum, spell the name right, boys. As long as you spell my name right, we're good. It's all publicity. That's almost everything. I only have one more. I only have one more, and you basically, if you'll use it with motivation, imagination, and determination, you have a Ph.D. in marketing and sales and business. And that is this one. People will help you, but it won't matter until you don't really need their help. I didn't say won't benefit from their help. I didn't say don't want their help. I didn't say might not have your business explode because of their help. But you genuinely have to build any initiative to the point where it will survive without help before help can help. It has to be self-sufficient. If I have a website that does not effectively tell my story and does not effectively transfer belief so that when somebody gets on it, they don't really understand what they're supposed to do and they don't know how to give me money to make this as simple as possible. And Joe Rogan finds out about my website, much bigger podcast than mine, millions of listeners, and says, hey, man, get over to greenwidgets.com. Man, this is the greatest website ever. Check it out, guys. The owner of greenwidgets.com is like, holy shit, Joe Rogan just told everybody about my site. Here comes the money. All, all he gets is a bunch of traffic and maybe a bill for extra bandwidth and almost no sales. Because the site wasn't ready to survive by itself. The business wasn't ready to survive by itself. So help cannot be helpful. It's like me giving you a lottery ticket. But it's for a lottery that happened two weeks ago. And I already know the numbers are wrong. But hey, I gave you a lottery ticket. You have got to build what you have on your own. Now it doesn't mean you can't take help while you're doing that. But I'm telling you the help really won't make the difference until you have the sufficient motivation, imagination, and determination to know what you're going to do and already be on with doing it, until you have defined your product based on whether it's a good or a service, physical, non-physical, however you want to think of it. You've determined why people would want it. You've developed clear messaging around that. You've determined within those desires, is your product going to be marketed as profitable, entertaining, life-changing, a combination of two or all three? You have developed a way to transfer the belief that your product or service really is what people are looking for. You have developed a very clear story that creates enough interest so that they are ready to receive that belief. And you have done that in such a way that it's easy for others to discuss what you've done and market on your behalf by telling your story for you. Then people can actually help you. And then a little gas from somebody like a Joe Rogan mention, or dare I say even a Jack Spirko mention, can drastically change the course of your business for the good forever. Without those things in place, it's like putting gas in a car that has no gas tank. All it does is go through the tube and come out on the ground and maybe start a fire. 
can actually destroy your business if you're not ready for my help. And people bigger than me can destroy it harder and faster if you're not ready for their help. That doesn't mean fear help. It means fear a lack of motivation, imagination, determination, and fear not following my rules. Because they're not my rules. These are a lot like my laws of life. These are the way I explain them. These are laws. These aren't even rules. These are laws. This is how shit works. And when somebody does it without understanding it and they're successful, they do it in spite. They just have because because they are natural laws. People actually sort of kind of do this already anyway. That's why you know they're real. So here's my final thoughts. Number one, I really just gave you everything you need. I really just gave I just gave you thousands of dollars worth of knowledge for free. I don't want a pat on the back for it. I don't want anything for it. I just want you to understand it. Because if you don't understand it, you won't go do something with it. Number two, the rest is only academics and action. Exactly how you formulate your story, exactly how you transfer your belief, that's just something you have to figure out and do. So it's academic in that you must figure out, well, I need to know how, or I need to buy this thing, right? So I need graphics for my website header. Okay, you can either learn academically, or you can just a pure cure. But you need to like make sure it matches. It's not just some, something some guy came up with, because he'd do it for $50. That's the match, your marketing of telling your story. So that's academic. You figure out. And if it doesn't work, you change it. And then it's action. You have to do it. You have to do something. Like You can have the greatest idea. You can have everything nailed down tight, and if you don't do anything, nothing's going to happen. And then somebody else will do it, and you'll be like, they ripped off my idea. Unless you sent them your marketing plan with a freaking bow on it. No, they didn't. They came up to the same conclusions you did because that was a good conclusion you failed to act on. Simple, right? And then the only thing you need to add to the academics and the action is a permaculture principle. I find it interesting that I can always do better design if I if I say, what would Jeff Lawton say about this? What would Bill Mollison say about this? What, what does the permaculture designer's manual say about this? What if, in this case, what does David Holgram say about this? Permaculture design principle from David Holgram's work, number four. Apply self-regulation and accept feedback. So it's just what I said. If you try something and it doesn't work, you adjust. Maybe you try something completely new. Maybe you realize the flaw, the missing link. But when you're building a business, you have to accept feedback. That doesn't mean you listen to the advice everybody gives you. Most of the advice that people give you will be absolute crap. But even if it sounds like crap, if everybody's telling you the same thing, you might want to figure out either why they're right or where you're miscommunicating with your market. If you're like, but we do that, but if nobody knows you do that, everybody says you should be doing that, you need to have enough self-regulation to shut the F up and enough um, respect to accept the feedback and adapt to it. If you'll take everything I gave you today, you'll figure out what you need along the way and take action, and you'll accept the feedback that comes from that action and adapt to it, you can be successful. This isn't Tony Robbins where I tell you how special you are. I'm just giving you concrete. This is how this shit works. It is now and has always been all on you. You will or you won't. Like Yoda says, there is no try. There's a, there's a, there's a, a point where that is true. Because the try doesn't matter unless enough of the feedback and self-regulation take effect, enough of the academic and action takes effect to overcome the failure.
That's why there's no try. In case you ever didn't really understand the whole point of there is no try, if you've tried and you have not succeeded, you have done not. You didn't try. You failed. And the point of that isn't, oh, you suck, you failed. It's, well, you've only failed if you're done. If you've only failed if you're done. If you keep going, you haven't failed yet. What's the third? I said there's three things you need. One person says they, they're not sure what they can do. They can't go on. Motivation. Imagination. And the last one, determination. Determination is the thing that really makes or breaks people. We all have flashes of imagination and we all have flashes of motivation. Some point in your life you were thinking in ways you never thought before and maybe you let it go. There's a point in your life where you were ready to knock down a wall. One of my one of I had a when I was in sales, I had a I had my own personal recruiter, my own personal headhunter. I wanted to do something else. I called his name was Mark Sabla. I'd call Mark, I'd like to go do something else. Okay. And he'd get paid sixty, seventy thousand dollars to place me in another organization. I'm not I'm making that shit up. I mean that's just how it was. And one of the times I remember he had a conversation with me about a position and the the people he were talking to said, Well what is if you had to really define what's different about Jack, why we want to talk to him versus all the other people we could be talking to, plenty of whom will walk through our door voluntarily. We don't have to pay you to put us in touch with them. What's different about Jack? And he said, Well, if you tell Jack that you want to get into a company and you've been trying to get in there and other people have failed you and you can't get through the front door, Jack is the guy that will take the hinges off, remove the door, and go in anyway. He will get you in the door. No matter where it is, no matter who it is you want to talk to, he may need your support depending on who it is you want to talk to, what level they're at. But if you need to get in that door, if it takes blowing the door off the hinges, Jack will get you in the door. He sold me better than I could sell me. I was like, wow, I'm going to use that shit in the future. And here I sit 20 years later still using that line. Because Mark Sablo knew how to sell. He knew how to transfer. And he said that shit because he believed it. He believed that I was that I wouldn't let him down. That if I left, that company like, damn, I can't believe we lost him. But they're not going to be like, hey, you sold us a bad suit of goods. He was transferring that belief. But that was motivation. Whatever it takes. I wasn't even that good yet. But I was that motivated And I had the imagination to go with it. And I had the determination that when you told me no, let's step back and imagine another way we can do this. And I'm going to come back at it again. And I can get told no a thousand times in three months. That's okay. You'll get tired sooner. That was my attitude. Then that's how I would get in. Sooner or later, you'll get tired of saying no. I'll find a, I'll, I'll find someone that knows somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody or whatever, and I will I will get in the door. And we'll have a conversation. And we'll determine whether your your wants and your needs match what I have. And if they don't, I'll go away. But if they do, we're going to do business together. That's determination, folks. It's all on you. Right now, the thing is, it's always been on you. It's always been up to you whether you did this or not. And I really hope that primes you. That if it's not a business, whatever it is, you take the same attitude towards it. As we go through the 13 steps to getting what you want in your life, and we'll start that on Monday. Tomorrow, like I said, we'll have expert counsel. 
Right now, if you feel like, damn, Jack did deliver today, and that was pretty valuable, and I want to support Jack in the work that he does, you can do that without giving me any money directly. You can just do your online shopping at tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z, tspaz.com. Uh, we'll be real short with the item of the day today. It's Chef Paul Perdomes, uh Black and Redfish Magic Seasoning. I learned about it from my buddy who's a fishing guide. His name's Omar. Uh, Lucky the Irish Guide Service here in Dallas-Fort Worth. He's taking trips right now. He's not shut down for COVID. Uh, white bass and stripers mainly and hybrids. Uh, amazing guy. Man eats a lot of fish. Guy's a fishing guide, full-time fishing guide. You eat a lot of fish. <laughs> and when he tell you, hey, this is good when you're cooking fish, you try it. This stuff's magic. It really is. Redfish magic seasoning. Um, I give all the information you need to know on how to use it, including how to make it yourself if you don't want to buy it. When you see everything that goes in it, you'll probably just buy it for the price. Um, great quality. You can find it all at tspaz.com or just go to survivalpodcast.com. Scroll down below today's episode and you will see Chef Paul's stuff and you can find everything that I've ever reviewed at tspaz.com, alphabetically listed by category. And if it's there, I own it, I use it, I bought it, I spent my money on it, and I believe in it. Or I wouldn't try to transfer that belief to you. I really wouldn't. Um, man, I'll tell you, everything I've tried to do My brand, if there is a, a single word of the brand around TSP, it's integrity. I may be wrong, but I'll never lie. That's that's all I can do. I think that's all any of us can do. And that's what TSPAS is. I may be wrong some point, but I'll never lie to you. Not for a dollar. It's, it's not worth it. All right, with that, let's talk about our song of the day today. Um, John Adam actually had a song picked out for today that sort of kind of fit this, and I'm, I want to use it in the future. I'm just going to rotate it in somewhere else in the future. Uh, it's a great song for our show, but it wasn't right for this particular episode. I wanted, even though I told you about some really, and isn't it funny I told you about a recession, depression, economy being wrecked, real estate coming, crash, at least in the big cities, in the big urban markets, and do you feel motivated anyway? That's because problems equal opportunities, and there's about to be a lot of problems, which means a lot of opportunities. Crisis, right? Danger and opportunity. The Chinese character for crisis, danger and opportunity. So the way that you capitalize on this type of opportunity with that motivation, imagination, and determination is an absolute warrior ethos. Just wrecking ball ethos. Whatever I got to do, that's what I'm going to do, and I'm going to come out of this better than I went into this. Might even hurt. You get punched in the face, it hurts. Today's song comes from a movie that's uh, about getting punched in the face a lot. From Rocky III, Eye of the Tiger. And I think this is one of those songs that, like, it was written for the movie. And the reason it was written for the movie, by the way, is they wanted to use Queen's Another One Bites the Dust, but Queen wouldn't play ball and they couldn't get rights to the song. So they got with Survivor and said, hey, we want a song, blah, blah, blah. And they wrote this song for the movie. The entire thing was like they were watching you know, cuts from the movie as they were beginning editing and, and stuff and them slugging it out. And that dun, 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 that was actually the guitarist like creating those riffs to those punches, to those blows. So this song was made for this movie. And I still think the song is underrated because of the movie. Now, the song became an instant hit because of the movie. Listen, don't misunderstand that. But I think the song itself, and that's why I was amazed when I went and looked it up on YouTube, some of the young people listening to it that may have never seen Rocky, believe it or not, there's people that actually haven't seen the Rocky movies, you know, because they are pretty old now. 
if there's a bank like 5,000 of them or something, Rocky, 5,000, right? But there are people that have not seen the original Rocky movies, and I think they appreciate the song. When and the, the official video from the band doesn't have the movie in it, so there's no connection to it. I think some of the comments showed me that they appreciated the song maybe more than people just associated with the movie. But I'm still going to use the movie to explain what makes the song great. There's this one part in the movie where Creed's talking to Rocky about why he lost. And he says, the reason you beat me is you had the eye of the tiger. And I'd lost it. And you lost it. And if you want to win, you got to get it back. And it's more than just the line in a song. It's very symbolic. It's very poetic. And if you think about what the eye of the tiger really is, when I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the actual thing, a tiger and its eye, and you think of it on the hunt, in the jungle, and that bright orange and black that seems like it should stand out is nature's most amazing camouflage. And that tiger is in the jungle. And if you're there as some kind of you know, photographer or videographer, and you go in tight... And you see that eye looking out, surveying, knowing that whatever it has to have to survive, to feed itself, to feed its family, its cubs, it's going to do it. It's going to take it. It doesn't give a shit. It doesn't give a shit that there are things that can come after it. It doesn't think, care that there's things it has to fight. There doesn't give a shit that there are things that are dangerous. It doesn't give a shit that it's going to be hard. It doesn't care. Because what it wants, what it needs, is more important. It's the difference between surviving, it's the difference between feeding your cubs, versus suffering and dying. So that eye is there. Focused, determined, willing full of motivation, imagination, and determination. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast.